Well, we've been in this, we're right now in what we call Summer at the Gathering. And Summer at the Gathering is, isn't really a teaching series. If you're new here, we teach uh, in, in a format called Teaching Series throughout the year. I'm sure you've experienced, before you've ever been in church before, where we teach interconnected messages and along the same topic or subject. We just finished a long one called Binge the Bible. Uh, Binge the Bible Season 1. And our goal in that series is to look at a book of the Bible one week at a time, uh, one book, one week, and then the next week, and another book of the Bible, and to see the overall story of the Bible. And we'll do series like that. In August, we've got one coming up called The Way of Jesus, all about understanding what it means to live and walk in the way of Jesus. And in the summertime, what we do is take a break from all that and take an opportunity for, for me and for our teaching team to come to you with kind of what's been on our heart, journal entries, really, the things that we are writing down and that we're learning from God that we feel like God is placing in our hearts, and uh, and that, that's kind of what we do over the course of the summer, and that's really what today's message is. It's really, it's a series of journal entries and a heart that I have around really one of our core values. We have some core values at the church. They're on a sign right outside the door here that inform the culture that we have as a church. They kind of uh, speak to who we are or who we want to be as a church. I'll, I'll tell you what they are. Um, Jesus is our message. Everything that we do comes back to Jesus. It begins with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. He's our message. People are our priority. Uh, we don't believe people are a distraction or an inconvenience. People are not a project. People are our priority at the gathering church. Family is our culture. We want you to feel at home here, to feel welcome here, to feel like you're a part of a family here. Humility is our posture. Uh, we try to always approach every opportunity and conversation from a posture of humility. Uh, humility is our posture. Vulnerability is our strength. Um, we believe that we are strongest when we are authentic and vulnerable in community. Initiative is our obligation. And that's what I want to talk about today. Initiative. Uh, joy is our choice. Generosity is our privilege. Serving is our calling. And our city is our responsibility. We're going to talk about initiative today. Uh, when I was growing up, my mom had an incredible method for getting me to keep my room clean. Uh, now, maybe if you've got small kids, you know, this is a challenge. How do we keep the kids' room clean? Because if you have never been around a small child, I just think it would amaze you at the speed with which a child can take a perfectly organized room and turn it into an absolute dump, a disaster. Honestly, dumps are more organized than my kids' rooms after they've been in them for about 13 minutes. And, and so uh, my mom had an incredible method for helping us keep our rooms clean and organized, and it was this. She would tell us to organize them, and if we didn't, she would clean it. It was the best method. It was the only surefire way to keep my room clean. And uh, I knew as a kid that if I let it get gross enough, she wouldn't be able to stand it any longer. And she would clean that room for me. She's here today. I'm embarrassing her a little bit. She did. I did get punishments, but I knew that if I could endure for this brief time these hardships, 
that my room would be clean again. And so uh, my mom had this method, and now that was great as a kid. I really enjoyed that. That was a blessing to me. However, there did come a day when I moved out of the house and got into my own space. And I remember I had been living in my own apartment for, I don't know, maybe about six months before it occurred to me that this place was absolutely disgusting. I mean, it was, it was me and all the bugs living there. You know, I was living in Florida, so they got these palmetto bugs, cockroaches like this big you know, and we would just watch TV together on, on, a, on a Wednesday night, you know, we would just enjoy our time with one another, and uh, I remember kind of having a realization that if my room, if my house, if my apartment, if my life is going to be clean now that I'm outside the care of my mom, I, I'm going to have to be the one that does it. It's going to rely on me. And so my house is still messy. No, I'm just kidding. I got married. My wife, is pre- she, she encourages me in the Lord to do my part to keep the place clean. And I do. She does all of it, and I'm grateful. Um, anyways, the point that I'm trying to make is that at some point in everything, in everything, in our relationships, in our finances, in our spiritual life, in every single thing in your life, you hit that exact same position where you realize that if things are going to go the way that you want them to go, if you're going to live the vision that you hope that, to, that you want to live, if you're going to be surrounded by what is good and what is peaceful and what is hopeful and with what fulfills you, then you're going to have to look in the mirror and take responsibility to begin to do it for yourself. Uh, there comes a moment for all of us where mom stops picking up our trash and we've got to be the ones to do it. And so uh, today we're talking about initiative and this idea of looking in the mirror and accepting responsibility for ourselves. Here's something that I see a lot. I often talk to people who find that their life is not where they want it to be. I see it in different areas, people's spiritual health, relational health, the community they have, the state of their finances, uh, where they are in their journey to finding freedom. And there is a lot that I can do and that the church can do to help with all of these things. It's why we're a part of a church community. They help in all of these areas. Sometimes I'm having these conversations and I find that there's areas that I should be helping in these areas or that the church should be, but we're not. And we've got to figure that out and come alongside and get better. And I've got to get better. And, and we, we make adjustments and we pitch in. But a lot of times in these conversations, what I discover is that people are willing to blame everybody around them for things getting messy. But never think to look in the mirror to accept responsibility for themselves. They place blame on people, on the church, on God himself. In the Proverbs, he says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. The reality is, there is a lot that your community and your church can do for you. There is a lot that God can do for you. But at some point, you're going to have to begin to take the resources that the church offers and the gifts that God has given and use them to take initiative for yourself. So I want to talk about how to do that in a few different areas of your life and and equip you to begin to take responsibility, to take initiative, and to see the best that God has for you in a few different areas. First, I want to encourage you to take initiative for your spiritual growth. Take initiative for your spiritual growth. There is nothing that is going to bring you more joy and more satisfaction and more peace than growing in your relationship with God. You were made to delight 
in a relationship with God. You were made to know him, to have intimacy with him, to, to speak to him, to hear from him. It's the way you were wired to live. It's wired into your creation. I believe it's evident in, in all of human history, in every culture, and in every person that has ever lived. We can see a need to know and understand the divine, to know who made us, why they made us, and to have relationship with the one that made us. Uh, while he was on the run in the wilderness of Judah, David wrote this in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God and earnestly I seek you and my soul thirsts for you. Deep down in your soul, you are thirsty for a relationship with God. My flesh faints for you. Your body longs for a relationship with God is in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You have a need for him. It's more evident in our culture now than ever. The modern church has been under scrutiny over the last few years for a lot of different reasons. And one of them is because it became more widespread to offer gimmicks for attraction than wisdom and practices for spiritual growth. Our goal is to equip you to know and follow Jesus to be in relationship with him. At our church, we have a program or a system or a, a group called Practicing the Way. And practicing the Way is all about equipping you to have real relationship with Jesus. It's a simple format. Uh, we meet once a month in a large group where we introduce a new practice. And these aren't complicated, difficult, hard to grasp practices. So far, we've done prayer, scripture, Sabbath, and... Fasting. Fasting, prayer, Sabbath, and scripture are what we've gone through so far. We'll talk about it in a large group gathering. And then you have a small group that you come alongside. And the goal is in this small group, you work it out together. You understand how to do that. Hey, I tried fasting and I did not like it. And the person next to you says, I did not like it either. But I found that if I push through this moment, here's what happens. In community, we work it out together. That's what practicing the way is. We offer practicing the way uh, at our church with the goal of helping you develop the practices of Jesus. Um, we'll kick that back off again next month. Next month is coming and we are going to have practicing the way again. And, uh, I hope that alongside your Practicing the Way group, you've been practicing these things, learning more and more about how to study scripture, how to pray, how to fast, how to Sabbath. But one thing that I think we can fall into as a church community when it comes to spiritual growth is a reliance on others to do the work for us. We go to the group or we attend the gathering or we attend church on Sunday and we hear and we receive and then we wait. We wait for someone to read me the scripture. We wait for someone in my group to pray because I ain't raising my hand. We wait for the opportunity for someone to grow us. Maybe you're waiting for me or for your small group leader to grow you. But when your spiritual growth becomes stagnant, maybe your practice has been to bounce from church to church, hoping to find somewhere that feeds you. The writer of Hebrews says this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, this is chapter five, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. 
But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Sometimes people have been followers of Christ for 40 years, but they've never stopped waiting for someone to feed them milk. Spiritual growth isn't something that somebody else does for you. It's part of it. In fact, it's a necessary part of it. Being in a community of faith where you have mentors and teachers and leaders who encourage you, who invest in you, who pour into you and who help you grow spiritually is an incredibly important ingredient to spiritual growth. But there is another ingredient that oftentimes gets neglected, and that is taking initiative to partner with the Holy Spirit to learn to feed yourself. I have kind of a a policy or, or philosophy, I guess, when it comes to parenting. Uh, It's a great philosophy. It's really around things like milestones, walking, using the potty. Uh, If you've had little ones, potty training is a big deal. It's stressful. Uh, You you just get to a point where you're holding down a grown child and changing a diaper, and we're like, I need you to use a toilet. This is starting to get inappropriate, okay? (laughs) I've never stressed about it. I've got three daughters, and uh, two are potty trained, and both of them at wildly different ages and different times. And the reason I didn't stress about it with my second one is because of this philosophy, and that is I just don't know a lot of adults who never learned how to use the potty. I don't, I just, I haven't met a lot of 18-year-olds that are still waiting on mom, that lay down on their back and pick their legs up every time they go poop. It just, eventually they work it out. But maybe you can help me with this because I have not found the same to be true when it comes to a nice warm glass of milk. These kids, they love a nice warm glass of milk. I don't know, maybe, and I still drink a glass of milk every night before bed, so maybe it never goes away. But there does come a point with your children where you transition from holding the fork to giving them the fork. There comes a point with your kids where they, they start to take the lead usually with my kids. My, my not even two-year-old wants to feed herself. I put the plate down in front of her and I get the fork and she snatches it out of my hand or smacks it away like, she's, like you're offending her and starts just shoveling that food in her mouth on her own. Some days it's like that. Some days she wants me to feed her and we go back and forth. But I know that eventually we will transition from me feeding her every bite to her feeding herself. And I believe that what happens is, as believers, we get so used to the bottle, we get so used to somebody holding the fork for us that we never even think about whether or not we should grab the fork for ourselves and begin to feed ourselves. That is the only way you will ever grow spiritually, is if you begin to take responsibility to feed and grow yourself take initiative. I like how verse 14 in this passage in Hebrews 5, it says that solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Constant practice. Constant practice means hearing me read the Bible to you is not enough. You've got to study it for yourself. Constant practice means saying grace for a meal is not enough. You've got to learn how to really pray. 
constant practice. Take initiative to develop real spiritual discipline so that you can begin to really grow into maturity and finally feel satisfied in your spirit. If you haven't done it yet, take part in practicing the way when it kicks off again next month. August is going to be a great month for you to begin to take initiative in your spiritual health. We have 21 days of prayer. We do it every January and August. In January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. In August, 21 days of prayer and feasting. We got the church potluck in, in 21 days of prayer in August. Come on, somebody. Going to some barbecue. We aren't going to ask you to fast, okay? Um, but you can commit to that season of prayer. Three weeks every day as a church, we pray. And you can commit to that season of prayer. And then as soon as 21 days of prayer ends, the following Tuesday, we meet together for our next Practicing the Way large group. And it doesn't matter if you've been in it before or not. You can join us for that gathering and you can begin to take initiative to feed yourself spiritually. Next, take initiative for your community. Second thing is this, take initiative for your community. Uh, maybe the whole reason that you're here today is because you understand that deep down inside, you've got a need for community community. You want people to go through life with, uh, people to learn, to lean on, to laugh with, to cry with, to make a difference with. I believe we're designed by God to exist in community, that God creates you with two basic needs, relational needs. And one is for a need for relationship with him. And the other one is a need for relationship with others. In Genesis 2, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And that isn't just satisfied in Adam's relationship with Eve. God creates man to go through life in a way that is communal. In the book of Exodus, we see Moses, a great leader of people, leading people all on his own. And the weight is too much for him to bear. His father-in-law, Jethro, who was a high priest and a leader of people, comes to Moses and says, Moses, what you are doing is not good. And he teaches him how to lead in community. We have this need for community that's echoed all throughout the scriptures. We, we need to be in relationship with people. Jesus says this in John 13, verse 34 and 35. He says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, so also you should love one another. This is how all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By Jesus's metric, if you don't have community where you can show love to people, real, actual, demonstrative love for your community, how will the world know that you are a follower of Jesus? Community is one of the ways we are defined as followers of Jesus. And he actually, he means like a, the act of love. He's not talking about love from a distance. I love all people. I love the people. I love, he's not talking about the way you love a baseball team or Harrison Ford. He means up close and messy and in community. We see this played out perfectly in the early church in Acts chapter 2. Uh, the day of Pentecost has come and the Holy Spirit has fallen on the believers. Now they are filled with the presence of God. And it means a lot of cool things are happening. Uh, there is this great moment when, it, when the Spirit comes. Peter preaches to a large crowd and all this crowd begins to follow Jesus. And they become the first community of Jesus. And, and then we see how the church grows from there. And it's in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day 
They met together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church wasn't growing based off the incredible content of the preachers, although I'm sure that was there. They just didn't write about it. But they were growing based off the community that they were living in. It was the love they were demonstrating for one another that was visible to the people around them who desperately wanted it, who were being drawn into that community. Community is crucial, and we need it. We were meant to be a growing, loving, sacrificing, Christ-worshipping community called the church. But getting to it is not always as easy as we hope it will be. I know that a lot of people find it hard to get into community. And sometimes it is really hard. People are messy. And so community is messy. People can be clicky. Uh, There can be uh, uh, barriers that we accidentally build that don't let people in, where we get so comfortable with things the way that they are that we kind of bar others from changing them. And it hurts community. Uh, there is a culture today uh, where we overprotect ourselves in a way that insulates us from ever building real community. We draw hard lines on what we're willing to get involved in or what times we will be out past. And boundaries are good. My friends know that if you are at my house past 8.30 p.m., you had better have a good reason. You know, there, there had better, you better get out of here, you know. But I wouldn't have any of those friendships if I wasn't willing to bend those rules. Sometimes getting into community is genuinely hard. Uh, Those of us who've been in a community and in this community need to work to open barriers, but sometimes we're really just not sure how to. Maybe it is time for you to take initiative in building your community. Take initiative in building your community. Be willing to stay out past 8.30 sometimes. Be willing to start a conversation. Cast a wide net. Meet a lot of people. Invite them over for dinner. Go to things like First Wednesday and then approach a table full of strangers and say, Hi, I'm John Mark. I hope you don't think I'm weird. Don't say that. Think that last part. And start conversations and begin to build relationships. The basic building blocks of making friends are the same as they were when you were in the third grade. Go up to the people you don't know on the playground. Say, hi, my name is John Mock. Do you want to go play Powell Wangers? And <laughs> honestly, you come up to me at first Wednesday and want to play Power Rangers, I'm in. It still works. These building blocks of simple conversation and cast a wide net. Join more than one small group. When we kick off small groups in a few weeks, join multiples. Sign up for three or four a week. Don't need to go to all of them, but I have to be honest with you. Now listen, you're not going to vibe with every group that you get into. You're not going to have chemistry with every person that you interact with. That's normal. That's just the way that we are made as people. There's going to be people and you're going to meet them and they're going to say two things and your heart is going to, it's just going to want to be with them. You're going to be like, did we just become best friends? And it's over from there. There's also going to be people where you're going to think, I love that God created you. I love the distance that is between us as well. 
It's going to happen. It's okay. You won't break past those barriers if you only try once and give up forever. You got to find the people that you connect with. You got to cast a wide net, sign up for all the small groups, find the one that fits, and commit to it. Go every single week. Don't miss. Don't schedule small group around your life. Schedule your life around small group if you want to have community. Get on the dream team and serve the church. Take initiative and take responsibility for building the community that you are a part of. Don't look around at the church and say, wow, I love that they are doing this. Instead, say, I wonder how we could do this. Take initiative and take responsibility for community. Get people's numbers. Take them to neutral territory. That's another great tip because sometimes you're nervous about inviting someone you don't know into your home because what if they stay till 11 p.m.? I get it. Go to a restaurant or a brewery or a park, somewhere where you can leave when you feel like you need to. Do it until the chemistry clicks and you meet the people you want to hang out with. And then when you meet them, this is crucial, don't wait three months to hang out again. You cannot build a friendship that way. It is consistency over duration that creates an impact, that creates relationships. You got to, if you really had a good time, let's hang out next week. Let's build this friendship. You can't be like most of us are. Hey, we should get dinner. How's November? Oh, I'm busy that day. What are you like in December? I've got a Wednesday. I've only got a Thursday. How about a 4 a.m. prayer time? Let's do it. You've got to be flexible. You've got to move things around. You've got, to, you've got to break some of your boundaries down. I understand that, but relationships are built by consistency over time. Don't write this responsibility off and wait for somebody to do it for you because I'm just telling you as your pastor that I have, we are creating opportunities for community multiple days a week. I have done what I can for you. I cannot make your friends for you. And so please don't come to me and say you haven't created a space for community for me here because I'm doing everything I know how to do. At some point, you're going to have to take initiative. I'm an introvert by nature, but I have a handful of really close friends and I built those friends very intentionally over time. Uh, I had a, one of my best friends, uh, I, I think about this conversation all the time, because uh, we had gotten really close. And one day, I was, we were hanging out, and this guy and I, if you look at us, we don't really match. We don't fit. I'm kind of a preppy person, you know, I own Sperry Top Ciders, and he wears mostly tank tops, you know. Uh, 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 he was living in a, in a school bus at the time. I was just buying a regular house, you know. And, and I asked him, I said, man, how, how come we're, we're like, how did this happen? What do we have in common that made us best friends? And he was like, uh, I don't know. What does anybody have in common with anybody? I just like you. I was like, I like you. Thanks for liking me. That's, that's what it's about. In a real relationship and in real community, you don't have to find the person that's favorite movie is the same as yours, that looks exactly like you, that is exactly like you. You just got to find the person you click with and you have to build the relationship over time. Colossians 3.12 also reminds us that in community and in relationships, we take responsibility and initiative to create peace there, to forgive, to bear with, and to have kindness on one another. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with 
with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's no room for pettiness in the kingdom of God. Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Take initiative. Build community. Build this community. Take initiative in your finances. Number three. Take initiative in your finances. Maybe you've made great financial decisions in your life and you're sitting in a good spot right now. That's wonderful. But maybe despite all those financial decisions, money has always left you wanting. It's always left you wanting more, left you feeling empty. It's always robbed from you, taken, taken your peace, taken your joy, taken your time. There was a hilarious article in Money Magazine some years ago that interviewed people at different levels of income and asked them how much money is enough. And they began with people at $45,000 a year, and those folks said $75,000 a year. And then people who made $75,000 a year said $150,000 a year. And then people who made $150,000 a year said $500,000 a year. And the people who made $500,000 a year said $1.5 million a year. And then from there, they started talking about things like net worth, which I don't understand. <laughs> the article perfectly illustrates the point I'm trying to make. Maybe you've always been good with money, but money hasn't always been good to you. It's left you wanting. Maybe if you're being honest, you're, you're in the other category, and you're one of those folks who have not been very good with money. You've spent what you had without much thought to the future, and it's come back to bite you more than once. Whichever camp you land in, let me encourage you to take initiative in your finances by following God's plan for your finances. And God's financial plan is pretty simple. Jesus said uh, a sermon on it in the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus makes a really specific point in this message. Where our money goes, our hearts follow. He relates it to the way that our eyes allow things into our body. He's still talking about money there. And if we allow our money to serve itself, to serve anything other than God, it corrupts not just the money, but the whole body as well. Where your heart is, your treasure will be also. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus isn't telling you not to save for your retirement or not to make wise investments or that if you have money, you're bad. That's not what he's saying. You can find Proverbs to support all of those things. Rather, he's talking about the direction that our money flows from and to. Here's how we take initiative over our finances today. 
Serve God with your money first and let everything else flow from there. Here, where your treasure is, there goes your heart. Don't send your heart to your car payment first. Don't send your heart to your mortgage. Don't send your heart to money. Don't send your heart to your credit card bill. Send it first to God and let generosity and financial peace flow out from behind it. In Deuteronomy 14, 23, it tells us that the purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first in your lives. Sow the tithe. Let the very first part of your budget be what you invest in the kingdom of God. Be, let it be the very first thing that you think of or do with your money. Send it in the direction of the church. Send it in the direction of God and let everything else follow. Start wherever you can. You don't have to immediately go from zero to 10%. Work where you can, but let the very first part of your finances, the goal for your budget, let it begin by sending it to God and your heart will follow. Number four is this. Take initiative in your relationships. Don't wait for your marriage, your dating relationships to get good. Don't wait for your spouse or your partner to do all the work. Don't wait for everyone around you to get everything else right because you're sitting pretty and everything's already good in your camp. You've got to take initiative in your relationships. How is pretty simple, but it's wide-reaching. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking inward to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Serve the people that you love intentionally, consistently. See what it does for your relationships when you stop looking out for you first, but you begin to look out for them. See what happens in your intimacy when you do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility value others over yourself. See what it does for your heart. This is the way that we're called to exist in all of our relationships. Paul writes this to the church in Philippi, not just urging them to act this way in marriage, but as a plea for them to, as he says in the next verse, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. In other words, the way that Jesus lived is this way, that he was not doing anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but that in humility, he was serving others, considering others better than himself. That was his, the, the, the landmark of his ministry that we could see. And uh, in our relationships with everybody, we should live that way as we follow Jesus. But I think that the relationship we neglect the most when it comes to this tends to be the one closest to us. Our intimate relationships at home are often the ones where we are really just fighting for what we want and how we want things to go and want our side to be heard and, and want to make sure that we do what we want to do and goes this way, this direction. We have to, at some point, if we want to have a healthy relationship, flip that around and begin taking the initiative to do for others. We spend a lot of time thinking about what we want or how it makes me feel uh, or doing what I want to do, but that's just not the way you've been designed to operate even though the enemy wants you to think it is. That will never fulfill you the way living in humility and looking to the interests of others will. In Ephesians 5, as Paul talks about marriage relationships, he encourages husbands and wives to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the secret 
to any good relationship. Look at their interests first. Don't wait for them to start doing that for you and sit there angry while they don't. That's not the point of this. If you're hearing this and thinking, yes, pastor, I'm so glad you're saying this because my spouse needs to hear it. They need to hear you saying they are so selfish. I hope they're paying attention. That's not how it works. It's not how it's going to work. It starts with you. Take the initiative. Look in the mirror and take responsibility. Now, if it's never reciprocated, you've got a whole other level of problems that we can help you with, that we can talk about. But it always begins by me taking the initiative. Take the initiative. Finally, number five is this. Last one. Take initiative for your freedom. This is the last one. It's a big one. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We just finished going through the early parts of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, the Pentateuch. And in that story, we see the people of God, the people of Israel. They begin in slavery in Exodus. They're in slavery in Egypt. They've been there for hundreds of years. God sends Moses to bring them out of slavery. And they're freed. They're freed from Egyptian slavery. They move into the wilderness. And now they're no longer in chains. They are no longer slaves. But they are still acting like they are. They may be out of Egypt, but Egypt is not yet out of them. As a matter of fact, in Exodus and in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, there are examples where when things get difficult for them, they actually say, we should go back to Egypt. It was better for us there. Our captors were better to us than this God that we follow. We see them making that choice. The the reality for a lot of us is that we have a difficulty staying free. But it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. The gathering church has a kind of a, a, a pathway that we follow. We want you to know God, to find freedom, to discover your purpose, and to make a difference. And it has to be in this order. It has to be in this order. You have to know that you get to know God is the first step that there is no obstacle between you and a relationship with God. Jesus removed all of them for you. You get to just enter into relationship with him and know him. But once you know God, once you're free from the bonds of slavery, just like those, those Israelites were free from Egypt, you still have all the bonds of slavery living inside of you. The sin, the patterns, the guilt, the shame, those, those mindsets that got you where you were in the first place, they're all in here. And God's desire for you is that you would be truly free. And Isaiah 61 is the mission statement of Jesus. And it says that he has come to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set them up like oaks of righteousness, a firm planting before the Lord that they might rebuild the ancient cities long devastated, meaning that God wants you to be free so that you can help others on a pathway to their freedom. But we aren't going to get free if at some point we don't stop and look in the mirror and say, I am choosing to do the hard work to find freedom. It's a great passage in Psalm 32 where David says, blessed is the one 
whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And a lot of times we claim to be free, but we're lying to ourselves. We're hiding a sin pattern that we think isn't a big deal. We're hiding some resentment, some bitterness, some anger that we just refuse to let go of. We're hiding some guilt or shame that we've just accepted we'll always carry. But God has designed you and has granted you freedom. In whose spirit there is no deceit, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was sapped uh, as in the heat of the summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Start taking initiative for your freedom by admitting to God. Admit that there are things inside of you that you want to be free from. Ask him for freedom. Confess with your mouth these sins to him. And then admit it to someone that you trust. In the book of James in the New Testament, it says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. You've already been forgiven, but healing is waiting for you when you're vulnerable in relationships. Admit it. Admit it to God. Admit it to somebody else. And then start to choose to walk away from it. That's what repentance means. The Bible talks about repentance. Repentance means to turn and walk the other direction. Maybe you need help with that. Maybe you need community for that. Maybe you need to have people set up accountability around you. Maybe you need a program. Maybe you need all these different things. But you are never going, a program is never going to work for you. If you haven't taken the initiative yourself to say, I am going to fight to be free. You have to make that decision. You have to start the path and the journey on your own. Take initiative. James 4, 17. One of my favorite passages in scripture, but it's a hard one. It says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Our core value is that initiative is our obligation. It's not that we think initiative is good or that we ought to take initiative. Initiative is an obligation because when I know the right thing to do, the right thing to do in my finances, when I know the right thing to do in my community, when I know the right thing to do for my spiritual growth, when I know the right thing to do in my marriage, when I know the right thing to do for the freedom that I am after, but I choose not to do it, for me, it's sin. I have an obligation to take initiative to fight for freedom, to fight for community, to fight for spiritual health. I have an obligation to take that initiative. If you're in here today and you haven't even taken the first step yet, uh, you're not sure that you have a relationship with Jesus or you know that you don't, you've just been trying to figure this all out on your own. If that is you, then today your step is simple. The initiative that you need to take is really just to enter relationship. And that is done like every relationship through conversation, a simple prayer. And you accept and receive the gift that Jesus gave to you on the cross, which is to know the God who made you. 
He went to the cross to remove the barrier of sin so that you could have direct access to the one who made you, that you could know him, follow him, pursue him, find freedom in him, discover your purpose in him and all of that. And if that's you today and you're ready to take that first step, every head bowed, every eye closed, just say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for the mistakes that I've made, for trying to do it on my own. Forgive me for the things I've held on to. I release them today. I choose you today. I believe in you today. And I will give you all that I am from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.